The empathy part is very natural to me. I feel emotions of others physically, and I think I am always so drawn to that and drawn to opportunities that allow me to lean into that part of who I am. But I do love the logic piece. I love thinking critically about certain situations. I love questioning them, trying out new solutions that maybe hadn't been tried. And I actually think that by bringing empathy into those types of struggles, those types of challenges, those types of opportunities, it allows there to be solutions that maybe reach a broader audience that maybe hadn't been tapped into before. In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt-sized company, from small 16 employees to extra-large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Hi, I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Mary Messner. Mary is a professional speaker and an advocate for women and girls. She has dedicated her career to approaching challenges with creativity, refusing to accept the status quo, and leading with a determination to grow others. She earned her Bachelor of Science in Health Education Management from the University of Kansas. Prior to starting her own consulting company, she was the Director of Health Information Management at Research Medical Center in Kansas City and worked for 14 years at Cerner Corporation. She is also acting executive director of Madam President Camp, helping middle school girls learn how to gain confidence and leadership skills. You can learn more about Mary at marymesner.com. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Mary. Mary, good morning and uh, welcome to the corporate couch today. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I appreciate it. Oh, oh yeah. So uh, you're another Andre Davis introduction. Uh, so mm -hmm. uh, Andre, as we know, is phenomenal. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad he introduced us. So yeah, I think we had uh, coffee once and now we're doing a podcast interview. So can't wait to yeah. get into your career and uh, what you're doing now. So uh, but let, let's start with something fun. So people that know you uh, at least a little bit or uh, or a friend, what what one or two things would surprise them about you? I think one of the things, okay, I'll start with this one. I drive a minivan and that still amazes me that I drive a minivan because I do not ever. <laughs> well, you have three kids though, right? Three children? I two. I, yeah, oh, two. Okay. Two, two kids, they're okay. six and eight. Okay. And I was anti-minivan and then they arrived and the practicality of it, oh my goodness sliding van doors. I mean, if you know, you know, if you don't have one, you're probably missing out with little with littles, but that is something. And I've had people say it, they'll, they'll leave a meeting and we'll walk outside and I'll walk up to my minivan and they'll say, I did not picture you 
as a minivan driver. I love it. I love so, it. So here I am. I'll say that's, that's one of the first ones. And, you know, the, the second one, and I'll just, I'll start out with a lot of transparency and that's that I have, I'll say moments of self doubt, like so many of us do. And I am currently navigating this path of how you can create transparency around those moments of self-doubt to give other people permission to do that while still maintaining a position of influence and sure. uh, professionalism and power and authority and balancing those and and just again being very transparent but balancing those is something i've really been trying to lean into recently yeah. so maybe that's something that would surprise people that yeah know me well, or maybe that are just getting to know me. No, thank you for both of those. I mean, I, you know, we're all humans at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, everybody has their uh, struggles and, you know, I think the pandemic brought that to light and accelerated that and, and the focus on it. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, you're a Kansas City native, native correct? Yeah. I am born mm -hmm. on the Kansas side and made the long trek to the Missouri side now. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so growing up, what was, what was fun for you? What, what did you love doing? I was, I'll say a crafty kid, you know, on, on family vacations, my favorite thing to do probably puts me into the nerd category, <laughs> but my favorite thing to do was to find whatever the local bead shop is and go buy beads so I could craft necklaces and give them to friends and, and family. And I still have a lot of those because, of course, you buy a lot more than you can ever use. And so sure. my kids now have fun with them. Nice. But but definitely crafty. I yeah. always I always liked that. Yeah. I played no sports. I, I take that back. I played basketball in middle school. And so your your listeners know I'm somewhere between 5'10", 5'11". Um, I'm tall. And I have been this height since. Gosh, I was about 11 years old, so fifth, wow. sixth grade. So tallest kid in the class. Wow. And it took, <laughs> when you grow that rapidly, that young, there is a whole level of awkwardness that follows you along. And so right. I did basketball in middle school. We had an intramural team. My dad was our coach. We won one game in three or four years. We did it for just, oh, you know, it was, just, it was fun. Right. But athletics for me was never really anything that I spent a lot of time focusing on. It was much more academic for me through, you know, through high school and into college. But uh, yeah, I don't have the, the typical sports story that a lot of young kids. Right, right. Have. <laughs> that, that, it's funny, too, because with the pandemic, you know, Zoom has become part of our lives uh, mm -hmm. you know, professionally. And so if you never, you know, if your first meeting with somebody is via Zoom and then you meet them face to face, that's always one of the biggest surprises, how tall or short the person is. So you and I yeah. were lucky enough to meet in person and you were sitting down. And then, you know, when we stood up to go, I'm like, oh, yeah, Mary's really tall. <laughs> <laughs> and I wear heels all the yeah. time. There you so go. I'm, I'm comfortable over that six foot mark as I, as I walk yeah, around. Yeah, your wisdom world. and your knowledge and your expertise is powerful, but then you really, your physical presence <laughs> is also. So there you go. Um, yes. Yeah, so what, growing up, did you have any aspiration as, as an adult? I want to be. Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to be a nurse. Um, it was it was something that probably since I was very little, 
I was interested in. There's, there's two parts of it that I think I really liked. It was the people side, the ability to engage and to nurture and to help. And then medicine in general is just fascinating. All the different aspects that it provides, always an opportunity to learn and grow. And I spent a lot of time shadowing healthcare professionals in middle school and high school. I had healthcare is very, it's a predominant career across my extended family. And back in the days before HIPAA, when you could actually shadow family members, I would go and spend evenings with my cousin and my aunt who were neonatal nurse practitioners and, you know, see all the little tiny babies. And I'd go with them to see, um, see a baby be, being born. And, and it was just, it was so fascinating. And that, that was what I was going to do. I was going to be a nurse and then I was going to become a nurse practitioner and still have some career growth down that path, but all in the healthcare space. Obviously not that today. I never actually became a nurse. I'm happy to share that story as we get into, into college timing, but, but yeah, that was, that was a pretty all-consuming goal for me for most of my adolescence. Yeah. Yeah. So you go to the, the great University of Kansas, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And did you start with the that you were thinking of being a nurse because you you graduated with a health uh, information uh, uh-huh. management uh, degree? So tell us about the your degree choice and that journey. Yeah, I I was going to be a nurse. I mean, that's I started out taking all the prerequisites for nursing school, and I love that you call it the great University of Kansas because it is great. It's wonderful. Loved my experience there, maybe a little too much. <laughs> so oh, we, we'll get into some stories about the wheel and the oh, hawk and all of it. Yeah, all okay. of it. So I was I was at KU. I think I want to say my first year at KU. What is now Brothers? Late nineties, early two thousands time frame. And yes, the wheel, the hawk, Brothers. Fatso's the jerseys, bowl. I mean, the bull, yeah. all of it. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I probably had a little bit too much fun. And it's a story that I used to not own. And I would tell people that I intentionally changed my career. But the truth is, I did not prioritize academics as much as I should have. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I'd always walked this line of knowing that I had a natural smarts about me if that's even using that word in the right way as I as I say that sentence (laughs) but I had there was a a test taking and a lot of things like that came easy to me and so when I went into college I assumed it would be the same and I learned quickly although probably not quickly enough that that was not the same there's a different level of rigor that you have to be willing to put yourself through to achieve the grades, those academic outcomes that you're seeking, particularly when you're applying to a competitive program, like I was in a nursing program through University of Kansas. I applied and I didn't get in. So this was between my sophomore year and my junior year of college. And I should have started nursing school my junior year of college. Didn't get in and I had to completely rethink what the future could look like for me. And I, I spent, I mean, this was painful. That was, that was hard when you grow up with 
a vision and a goal for so long. And then through your own fault, I mean, I, this, this was 100% on me. Right. I had to, to change that, that goal. I spent a semester at Johnson County Community College. I took business classes, just, just trying out some different career paths that could potentially be a next step for me. And in the midst of all of that, my mom said, you know, you should talk to your grandmother. She was a medical records librarian. So my grandmother graduated from college in 1944. Wow. She went to St. Yeah, Saint Scholastica up in Duluth, Minnesota. And her degree was as a medical records librarian. And, you know, I heard those words and I thought, no, that there's nothing intriguing about medical records librarian. But again, I didn't really have a lot of options. And so I did some research and what was medical records librarian degree is now called health information management. Uh And in essence, it is a, a blend of both business and medicine. And all of my, my pre-nursing classes that I had taken anatomy and physiology and and so many of those directly translated into what I was going to be doing. But then there's this business component. So lots of management in the healthcare realm, whether it's hospital administration or working in a medical records department, a lot of those individuals have a background in health information management, all things that I did not know if I wasn't willing to just simply explore and ask questions and try out a couple different things. So that, that was the shift for me. I ended up going still at KU. I was down at KU med. It's in the school of allied health. Spent the last couple of years there getting a degree in health information management. I graduated with honors. So I fixed that issue that I had. Nice. And graduated as the class president, which was just a lot of fun to, to navigate that. And walked away still feeling like I was connected to that passion of healthcare, but also having the opportunity to use my brain in a new way by bringing in that business aspect. And I'll, you know, in retrospect, I am, you know, there's those moments where you think you've totally screwed things up and you've made decisions that are going to point your life in a path that Mm -hmm. is not where it was supposed to go. Well, I thought that was what had happened. And in retrospect, it was the right thing to happen. There's, there's no accidents in these type of experiences. I know I would not have been satisfied had I gone down the career trajectory that I expected to go down, I do believe I I ended up exactly where I was supposed to be mm-hmm. by navigating that intersection with healthcare and business. Yeah. Did you have a um, aptitude for, you know, because the nursing profession uh, is more, you know, empathy, caring, and, you know, kind of the information system side, you know, which I spent, you know, the vast majority of my career in is more, you know, the logical thinking, reasoning, you know, but did you have that aptitude for the latter? Yes, I would say I had, I had both. The, the empathy part is very natural to me. I, I feel emotions of others physically and I think I am always so drawn to that and drawing, drawn to opportunities that allow me to 
to lean into that part of who I am. But I do love the logic piece. I love thinking critically about certain situations. I love questioning them, trying out new, new solutions that maybe hadn't been tried. And I actually think that by bringing empathy into those types of struggles, those types of challenges, those types of opportunities, it allows there to be solutions that maybe reach a broader audience that maybe hadn't been tapped into before. So to answer your question, yes, I, I think I have both of those. What I learned was the opportunity to integrate them in a way that is really positive. So it looks like you graduated, walked down the hill in that nice Sunday in May, uh, <laughs> and then you like got a, a job, it looks like immediately. How did you uh, get your first job? Yeah, I, I did. I did walk down. I walked down the beautiful hill five years after I started. So I ended up on the five-year plan thanks to that little snafu in the middle. It's all good. You know, I think like so many, you you get out of college and there's that belief that the, the job is going to show up. And, you know, I was fortunate that that in the time that I graduated, I, I it was in 2004, we hadn't quite hit that crisis that so many people ended up struggling with, you know, not long afterwards of that, that job market, not being what it was. I prioritized a lot of interviews. This was the advice from my parents. Just if there is an opportunity, apply for the job, do the interview, whether you get the job or not, it is always, it's an opportunity to practice. So wise words from my parents and from many others who've probably heard the same thing. And maybe you roll your eyes when you're a kid and then you realize in retrospect, <laughs> it's the right thing to do. <laughs> and I did that. I had, I had some different uh, job interviews, nothing that I thought was necessarily the right fit, but still always a good experience. I had a really interesting situation happen. I got a call from someone and they said, hi, we're, we're a recruiter. There is an open position at Research Medical Center in Kansas City for the Assistant Director of Health Information Management. We think you'd be a good candidate. Can we put your name forward? And I said, sure, why not? So that, that phone call happened and then it went silent. I never heard anything. I went ahead and called this. This was me now. So it, it appears as though in 2004, I immediately started a job, but you know, you're three to four months into a job search, which is unsettling. So I called this HR department and I said, Hey, I had a call from one of your recruiters about this assistant director position. Is it still open? And they said, we don't use recruiters. And I said, well, someone called me and told me about the position. And I believe what had happened is it was one of those third party recruiting firms that was hoping to put a resume right. forward and maybe get yeah. a kickback and it, and research who was recent, had recently been purchased by HCA. They were not, they were not going down that path, mm -hmm. but they said, but since we have you, and since you called, could you send over your resume? And I said, sure. So I sent it while we're on the phone. And they said, if you can hold on for a minute, we'd like to get the director of health information management on the phone. And I said, okay, sounds good. So I had this unplanned interview right there on the spot. And part of why I think that opportunity presented itself is one, I was open to it. 
working in the hospital setting was actually not where I ultimately wanted to be. The health information management in the healthcare setting at that time was generally a basement room full of paper medical records. Back to that, my grandmother as a medical records librarian, not something that seemed remotely glamorous, but it's a job, you know, and so you, you got to sure. start somewhere. Sure. So I think I was, I was open to it, which is why that opportunity presented itself. And a lot of other people had that same, same kind of preconceived idea that this is not glamorous and we're going to go work for the Cerner corporations of Kansas city, which is fun and more exciting and not work in this basement medical records department. They were having a hard time filling the position. It had actually been posted for a while. So at a very quick, quick phone interview, I went in and met with the director of the department. I had had an internship at the end of college and I'd put together a workbook with everything I'd done in the internship. And I said, I know I have no experience outside of this internship, but let me show you what I did. Here is this workbook that describes the work that I've done. Yes, I'm 22, 23. Yes, this is this is new and I'm a bit untested as an assistant director, but I can do this. I know I can. And they said, all right. I, I would say I have always had a bit of an air of, you don't know that you can't do something until you try. So it's always worth trying. And I think a, a lot of women struggle with that. There's, there's this statistic right. of women. Women won't apply for a job unless right. they're 100% qualified. I think that the only way that you can actually know if you're qualified for something is to go do it and learn from it. And then you can decide, is this the right spot for me or is this not? Right. So I gave it a shot and I immediately at, at, I think I was 23, ended up managing a team of 50 people at the time, Jeez. navigating that brand new experience, made a lot of mistakes and I learned a lot from it but it was wow it was a it was a, a start from a, a fast start out of yeah college, no kidding that's that's a great story um yeah i mean and as you and i know uh you know titles don't mean anything mm -hmm. uh really but i mean to have like you know when i came out of college i was in the uh, management uh training program for software development so you know, it was a pass fail. It was a four month training for AT&T. And I, my title was MPS 22, member programming <laughs> staff 22. Like, but you, you were an assistant director, <laughs> like right out of college. So that's, I mean, your other, you know, your friends were getting, you know, financial analyst one positions and, you know, like you had a big title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it, 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 the interesting part about it is about three or four months after that, the director left. And so it was me leading this department while they tried to, to figure out who my boss was going to be. And I participated in the interviewing process. I started interviewing, you know, my potential boss. They ended up hiring a guy who at the last minute backed out. And when I got wind that he backed out, I marched up to the CFO's office and the CFO is the one who was responsible for the health information management um, department. And I said, I want the job. And she said back to me, you don't have experience. I'm concerned that you would not be able to succeed in this role. And I said, then let me try because I know I can. And 
she said, she said back to me, and I, and I, I, I say this with so much respect for her because I learned so much. She pushed me really hard and I learned so much from her. And she said, be honest with me. Is it the money you're after? And I said, no, it's actually the title. So it's interesting. You point out that titles don't matter, but I knew if I could have a director level title on my resume a year out of college, oh, yeah. new doors would open up. Yeah. And she said, okay, let's give it a shot. And Oh, she micromanaged the heck out of me. And <laughs> I mean, and I don't blame her for it. Again, I didn't know what I was doing, but she would show up in the department. She questioned so much of what I did, but, but in, at the time that was hard in retrospect, she wasn't questioning it to belittle me. She was questioning me because she knew that I could learn and I could grow. And she was challenging me with the intention of growing me, not challenging me with the intention of belittling me. And, it, you know, it was a lot of 12 to 14 hour days. The health information management department at the time was a 24 hour department. So I had three shifts. I periodically would check in on the night shift. You know, you had people working there on, on Christmas Eve. You had people working there over Thanksgiving. I wanted to still be a presence for them. I wanted them to know that even when they were there by themselves, for example, they still had someone who had their back and was looking out for them. And again, a, a learning experience that probably taught me what it means to be a servant leader and how you continue to, to grow your team and, and support your team in ways that maybe are outside of the realm of titles or, or money or the typical good job attaboys that that so often leaders end up giving. Mary, outside your CFO, you know, you obviously learned from her um, and uh, through her micromanagement and other things, but mm -hmm. was there any books or any other people you leaned on? Because to be like 23, 24 with that kind of title and that type, I mean, to run, you know, a you know, 24 seven, three shift opter mm -hmm. operation. Most people don't get that chance till, you know, maybe late twenties, early thirties. So mm -hmm. what, what was your kind of learning process to become a great leader? Um, I I'll tell you, honestly, I, I relied on my family a lot. My, my family, particularly on, on my mom's side, it's huge. There were, there were five kids. So my grandmother, the one that, that graduated with a college degree in 1944. Yeah. Pioneer. There were, <laughs> yes. There were, there were five kids, four girls, one boy, all who went on to have, you know, multiple children. So, so this vast network of cousins and aunts and uncles that I had, I would say I'd have to do the math here quickly, but 90% of my cousins are women and every single one of them followed in my grandmother's footsteps. It is a very high powered uh, team of women. And, and I want to be clear when I say high powered, I don't necessarily just mean titles, but I mean, in terms of them being very self-assured and confident and willing to take risks and to try new things. And I had this, these role models of, of women who were setting their sights on something and achieving it. I mean, the whole time that I was growing up and I continued to, 
to lean on them and to, to watch them and observe them and ask the questions. My mom has a, was a teacher and then went on to become an educational consultant, start her own business and created these incredible educational opportunities all throughout Kansas city. And so she became a huge role model for me of someone that I could go to for questions and, and struggles. My dad, also a business owner, uh, owned a construction company, started his business, knocking on doors after college saying, Hey, is there any, you know, small jobs that I can do around the house? And that grew into a very successful construction company. So I'd love to say, yeah, I read this book and it gave me all the answers that, that I needed, but I think for me, it was who I surrounded myself with and the willingness to observe others' success and and learn from it. As my career progressed, I'll also add in that the willingness to be vulnerable and say, I don't know how to navigate this situation and get comfortable saying, I don't know, continue to open up new conversations and learnings and new resources that could be there as I was growing and developing. How did the people that worked under you that were older, which is, I'm sure, mm -hmm. had to be the vast majority, or uh, how did they uh, take it that, you know, a person 23, 24 was the leader of their mm -hmm. team? Some were okay with it. Some were not. I remember, chalk this up to lessons learned. I remember trying to overcome my age with a little bit of unwarranted arrogance and pretending like I knew all of the answers that that created some stress one team member in particular who who had been there much longer obviously and she was a team lead so she people reported to her who then and then she reported to me we had a we had a pretty heated debate about about this and her questioning me and it was one of those moments that she she walked out of my office and I had that opportunity to either say the way that, that situation was handled was inappropriate on both ends but you know could fall under the category of insubordination or I could use it as an opportunity for me to sit back and listen and say the reason that it escalated was because I wasn't listening. It got to a point where it became a difficult conversation because I wasn't willing to listen and to hear what she was trying to tell me and to use it as an opportunity to learn. I still, I mean, I think about that so often that she, she called me out in a way that was not entirely pleasant. And another one of those things that in the moment feels awful and in retrospect, you can have so much gratitude for because I learned from it. Other uh, other people on the team, if I keep talking about my grandmother, it, one of the, the, the guys that worked in, in my department, my grandmother actually was his boss when he was right out of college. She was the medical records librarian at St. Mary's, a hospital that's no longer here in Kansas City, but, but was here previously. She was the medical records librarian head of the department when he graduated from college and he worked for her and then 60 years later huh. or I guess 40 years later he was then working for me which is wild wow and and he was one that we could just have fun with that you know the yeah. absurdity and how kind of bizarre that was right. but also 
you know, kind of, kind of have some fun it's with that. Cool. Yeah. It's very cool though, that you had, uh-huh. that, you know, that bond. Uh, it's wild. From, from a, the work perspective, like that. incredible. So you, you were successful at HCA and research medical. Um, mm-hmm. What, what made you uh, go to Cerner? You know, Cerner, Cerner still always had that appeal of being a young company, a place where you could, where you could grow, you could travel, you could travel the world. And I, I kept in touch with a lot of people I graduated with went to go work for Cerner. And I kept in touch with a lot of them. And when opportunities came up, I would, you know, chat with them and see if there were potential positions over there. And an opportunity came up on the health information management team. So they had a piece of technology that works specifically in health information management departments. And when that opportunity came up, I, it, it felt like the right time. I was only at research for about three or four years. It was not a long, a long stint. And, but, but when that, when that came up, so I was 27, 28 at, at that time and an opportunity to go work with a group of people that probably were more, you know, age-wise on the same, the same level as me, growth, development, still wanting to be a strong professional, but also have some fun. You know, I was, I was craving some of that social interaction from, from a job. And uh, so, yeah, that's when I made the leap to go, to go over to Cerner. Yeah. So I I think you were like there for 14 years. What Mm -hmm. kind of was, what what was, was like the accomplishment there you were most proud of? I really feel like the people that I worked with and, and I, I'll, when I say accomplishment, I would say both personal accomplishment in terms of what I was able to gain, but also that accomplishment of feeling like I was able to make an impact. The, the, the biggest thing I'll tell everyone that not only did Cerner make such a huge impact in the work they did with their clients, but it created this just brilliant group of individuals, mo- most of whom truthfully are no longer at Cerner or Oracle as it is today, but they're now out making impacts, many still in the healthcare space, but also like me, you know, who went on to start their own business and try and have an impact in a different way. My 14 years at Cerner was always in the consulting space. I was always taking on roles that allowed me Well, maybe I'll phrase that differently. Maybe they didn't allow me. Maybe I just went ahead and took this for myself, but an opportunity to question the way things had always been done and to to try new things out, whether that was how we interact with a client, how we sell something to a client, how we staff a consulting project. I always sought out experiences where I could question, change, propose, grow, enhance, and ultimately try to leave an impact and so that whatever process or people that that touch that experience down the road they could be better for it i cerner was where i was when my kids were born that was probably one of the most pivotal experiences for me i i quit in 2000 and 15 when my daughter was about six months old. And I realized doing this whole executive, leading a whole bunch of people, working the long hours, being open to travel, that I couldn't balance that 
and motherhood in the way that felt right to me. I mean, it was like the thought of walk, I walked into my boss's office and, and, and quit knowing that on the other side of that was me becoming a stay at home mom. And that was still to this day. And I say this again, transparently, because I think a lot of people can relate. I am still trying to figure out who I am as a mother and as a professional. And maybe that is something that's normal, that there is always that seeking of trying to figure out how to balance those two things. But when I quit my job with the goal of becoming a stay-at-home mom, it was such an extreme shift from who I was into to kind of who I was becoming. And then my boss at the time said, would you consider staying part-time? And I said, sure. Worst thing that could happen is I would just quit again right. <laughs> and lean into being a full-time stay-at-home Well, it was again. a testament to you as uh, the value you provided to your clients and Cerner. So that that's great. Yeah. So I, I ended up part-time. I, I took off the executive title. I, I did not have any more team members. I worked about 20 hours a week. But it goes back to that idea of, of being in these opportunities that allowed me to kind of question how things had always been done. Me taking on a part-time role opened doors for other people. There were other women that came forward and said, wow, how did I do that? Or how, you know, how was that done? Could you help me figure out how to try and create an opportunity like that for myself? And so there became this little team of us. And a lot of us ended up working together on special projects that were all part-time. And I applaud my leadership at the time. And I applaud Cerner for being open to saying, if we have talent that we want to retain, it doesn't have to fit into a perfect box right. that we can actually mold what, what it should look like so that we can meet those individuals where they are at that time and still get the value that they're able to provide us. I mean, it was, it was a win-win across the board. Right. So yeah, I was, I was part-time for four years, five years, you know, these numbers start to blur. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the more numbers get added every year, the more they, the more they start to blur. Yeah. So you're, you're at Cerner, uh, you know, now, now Oracle, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. iconic Kansas city company, um, seems to be almost a kiss of death though. When you build a campus, you know, like Sprint did and <laughs> all the struggles they had after that. And, Obviously, Cerner got bought out by Oracle, but so you're, what made you think about leaving? And then, you know, after, you know, 17 ish years being in court, you know, a corporate culture, you know, great companies, what made you kind of, I'm going to do my own thing. Probably two, two big defining things. The first one is I did come back full time. And I worked with a team, one of the most incredible team of people that I had the pleasure of working with throughout my career at Cerner. It was kind of a hand-picked team. We worked for the VA. The VA was one of our big clients. And we created a training program to help the providers who were caring for veterans use data and outcomes to improve veteran uh, experience. And 
we structured it. I say we, the, the, the team as a whole had put together this program almost like a true university. There was a dean, there was an assistant dean, there was faculty, there was subject matter experts, instructional designers. I joined the team as faculty and I spent a lot of time standing up in front of a classroom training people. And, and it was a lot of, uh, I'll use the word soft skills. I think power skills is probably the more appropriate term, but, but a lot of that type of skill development and the team of individuals that I worked with, it was the most beautiful experience where we created this level of vulnerability where we could practice talking in front of groups. We did a lot of mock scenarios where we pretend to be an audience. We critique each other, the positive, the negative. It really helped me grow a skill set that I had always loved doing. This, this public speaking component helped me refine that. So I was doing that for a while. As people started leaving the team, they would say, can you take on this next level of leadership? Okay. Yes, I will. Okay. Now, can you take on the next level of leadership? And before long, I was back to leading this, this entire program. And I knew the path. I knew what happened because I'd done it before when I was on that executive path. I knew that meant the longer hours. I knew it meant some travel. And I had that hard conversation with myself to say, as much as I'm enjoying this professional growth and challenging that part of who I am again, it still felt out of balance with my family, with the mom that I wanted to be. And I, I say all of that, and I, I have to add a little disclaimer that this is my personal story. Sure. I think so many women do not experience that. They get just as much out of the professional side as they do the, the motherhood or the personal side. For me, I couldn't ever figure out how to get those two in balance if my career was going to continue to grow at Cerner. And I remember this is, this is post COVID. So I was there, I was there through COVID. And then in, in 2021, I had one of the first opportunities to get our whole team and our, our counterparts at the VA together in person. I mean, you remember you go back in 2020 and, and you started craving that in-person oh, yeah. interactions. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was this, you know, so, so here it was, we were all going out to DC and we're going to be in this room and it's this big, you know, three day think session. And I knew I should be excited about it. And I get there and I sit in the room and 30 minutes in, I say, I'm miserable. All I want to do is go home. And it was that very clear moment for me wow. that this was no longer the right place. And I, I spent some time to kind of listen to what my heart was saying and get out of my head a little bit. And, and it became really clear and talked to my husband and said, okay, I got all the signs I need. It's time for me to walk away. And I put it in my notice. And I think I gave like two months. I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't in a hurry. I was quite comfortable, you know, hanging out while we tried to figure out the right succession plan and who could step in and who should take over. And all of that was done while it was still Cerner. It was no longer, or it wasn't Oracle at the time. It was still Cerner. So I can, I can claim I never worked for Oracle, even though if you look at LinkedIn, I think they've updated the icon. Right, right. Which is heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of my Sprint uh, friends that uh, I work with that still were there, you know, didn't like the T-Mobile. Uh, yes. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So, uh, okay. So now you're like, I'm going to do something on my own. Uh-huh. Did you have an inkling what that was going to be? Like you, obviously you are doing, you know, you, you started your own company or companies. So to talk, talk about yeah. that process. Uh, the inkling was, <laughs> was that I knew I was a really good professional speaker. And that, <laughs> you're seeing a theme here that like, I have a little nugget of something that gives yeah. me confidence to say, let's just take the leap and yeah, then I, I just that. leap. Yeah. So I knew I was good at that. And I thought I could, I can make a career out of this. I didn't know what that yeah. looked like. This, this all goes under that, you know, that reality of, I think when you, when you start a new business, you don't know what you don't know. And that can either paralyze you and cause you to stop and move forward, or it can give you this freedom to say, because I don't know what I don't know, I'm going to screw this up a few times and I'm going to learn from them and I'm going to keep moving forward. So I spent the first year, the fall of 2021 is when I launched my business. My LLC name is actually Highline Creative Group which I loved the name and I still love it. The creative, the nod to creativity high line, the idea that we're all traversing this high line, professional or personal, moving from point A to point B. And sometimes it feels like a really yeah. narrow tightrope. Sometimes it yeah. feels more secure. And then uh, the more I said it, the more people said, so you're an ad agency. And I said, <laughs> no, I'm not an ad agency. Right. I did not realize this again. I, you know, not knowing what you don't know that when you throw the word creative into a business title, people assume you're in advertising, right. marketing, design, something like that. Right. So my LLC is still Highline Creative Group. I have a DBA doing business as Mary Messner. So yeah. I, it, the, a year later, I rebranded, if you will, to just be representing myself. And that, that first year, I simply said yes to a lot of things. You know, can you help my company come up with a change management program? Yes, I can. Can you come deliver a training on becoming a trusted advisor? Yes, I can do that. And I used all of those yeses to help me determine what I liked, what I could succeed at, what and probably more importantly, what gave me the energy that I needed to continue to keep putting effort into growing something. And so 2021 was a year of exploration or 2022, really, that full year was the year of, of exploration and trying out new things, all with that basic foundation of professional speaking. Uh -huh. And then as I moved into 2023, there was a new level of clarity that I wanted to focus more on the keynote speaking that I really was passionate about engaging with women and helping them understand maybe some of the personal experiences that, that I've had to date of challenging yourself in new ways and leaning into that vulnerability and authenticity that, that is really very powerful as a woman that oftentimes we question so 2023, that's how I've really focused on growing my business. The one other thing that I'll, that I'll, I'll throw out there, because this is important, is the, my work with the, the nonprofit Madam President Camp. So my, my role with this, with this nonprofit Madam President Camp, 
Uh, it's an organization that I'd gotten to know. I did a little bit of work on the side with them when I was still at Cerner and kind of fell in love with the organization. The whole focus is working with middle school age girls, which is an age where confidence begins to drop and girls begin to question their identity, who they are. External voices start becoming more important than internal voices. And Madam President Camp is the whole focus is to engage in that age group to increase that sense of confidence or maybe prevent the confidence from decreasing through leadership development, leadership skill development, and civic engagement. So you're a leader. Let's talk to you about how you can engage in your community to go create the impact that you want to see. When I left Cerner and started my business, I called them up and said, you know, I have a little bit of time on my hands. Can I come work for you? And at the time they were looking for an executive director, they did not have, it's a very small nonprofit. So there was not the funding to pay for a full-time executive director. So I said, let me work with you part-time and I'll focus on growing the organization, trying to bring in more, more money, more campers, more impact. And I think the initial conversations, although we never actually put this in writing, the initial conversations were that I would do that for about six months. And it's been almost two years <laughs> and I'm, I'm still in that, in that role. And so we'll see how that continues to, to evolve, but it aligns for me personally, it aligns really nicely with that passion that I have of growing women, not just as leaders in the professional space, but leaders in their, in their own life as well. Yeah. I love that focus and we'll, let's talk we'll talk about that more in a second but what you know when people go out on their own what you know the challenge and i've done it the challenge that people face is getting the business getting clients right so what what was your process you know um that you did to do that um i, I just love to hear that for me, my entire client base has been created through my network. Mm -hmm. I have not, I have not gone down the path of, I'll use the sales term of, of cold calling. Yeah. I, I mean, I rely, I rely heavily on my network. There's an individual I know, you know, you know, Mike Allison, Mike and I worked together at Cerner for a number of, of years and I credit him with so much of my opportunities and engagement in that first year by him simply being willing to introduce me to people. And that also probably gave me a lot of the confidence to go out and start making those introductions on my own, which could be, you know, I, I use, I used the term cold calling about kind of selling my services, but what I'm talking about here is that willingness to find somebody on LinkedIn and, really be impressed with what they're doing and send them a note and say, Hey, can I just get to know you better? I really like the content that you create. I really like how you set up your, your bio. You're really excelling in this space. And could I just buy you a cup of coffee and have some time to maybe learn from you? I did so much of that. My husband joked that I was going to spend all of my profits in the first year on coffee because I spent so much time going to coffee with people. But it's what is so beautiful about this community here is everyone said, yes, yes, sure. Let's meet, let's talk. And that 
that opened doors that I did not know probably even even existed. Some of that simply being, hey, I'd love to introduce you to this individual. They have a women's group and they bring in speakers. You know, would you like to meet with them? And maybe there's an opportunity there. So everything for me was dependent upon my network and people being willing to make the introduction for me. And, you know, that's, that's something that I think is so fundamentally important for all of us to do for each other. I mean, think about you and I are talking because Andre Davis introduced us yes. via email. And he, uh, you know, that's, me, yeah, he introduced me to Mike Allison and to Mike Allison. I don't know yeah. if I should admit this and, uh, in a podcast that, you know, <laughs> but I, I, I think I have a budding uh, bromance with Mike. I just, uh-huh. I, I so enjoy talking to him. It's yeah, it's, yes. it's bad, but I just interviewed him for the podcast. Yeah. Good. Yeah, no, he's, he's really wonderful. But I think that's, I mean, that's how it's done. That, that, and you hear me talk about authenticity, that, that is how you create authentic connections is you, you genuinely spend time getting to know people, not going into it saying, what can I do for you? And what can you do for me? But simply saying, there's something about you that I really admire. Can we just meet and talk? And that, that is something I have tried to do you know, I'm, I'm still learning how to succeed in that space, but, but that is something that has, has truly been, been the biggest game changer and the biggest catalyst for any type of development that I have. Yeah. I mean, I, I love your focus in terms of, you know, especially with the uh, Madam President camp, because, uh, you know, and your focus on kind of women and leadership and, and your, you know, your, your, your own journey that balances, you know, motherhood and, and you know professional uh, corporate corporate you know i i've interviewed ceo went female ceos and you know you know if a, of a, a, a male ceo cries or go oh how oh he's he's sensitive that's so good but if a female cries ceo it's like oh you know she's weak you know so it's a you know it's a hard balance right and mm-hmm. yeah, so i love how, how you talk about that Obviously, you're focused on uh, women, women in leadership, and 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 the middle school age uh, young ladies that you're trying to give them self esteem and help them. But what are your thoughts of being a young, twenty five year old male in the workforce? Because I, I kind of look at it, and it you know, and you know, whatever ha- happened in the past happened, right? What you know, in terms of. You know, we talked earlier about women not applying for jobs if they didn't make 100% of the qualifications where mm-hmm. a, a male would do that. But I'm just curious what you think about, you know, kind of their career journey in this new environment. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting that you, that you bring that up. So I spoke at, it was at a central exchange event. I was one of their, one of their speakers and my topic was on culture of women and the, the whole theme of the conference was culture. And I, and I talked about how women can support each other to create a culture of opportunity and encouragement, but also one of individuality and how all of us truly are individuals that show up in a unique way every single day. And that by encouraging that we can strengthen each other. And I had a, a a man come up to me afterwards. So there's a, a sm- small percentage of the conference is, is men. 
And a man came up afterwards and he said, if you took out the word woman from what you said and replaced it with the word man, every single bit of it would still ring true. Hmm. And it was, it was this thought provoking moment for me that, that while I'm spending time encouraging women because they need that level of encouragement, the 25 year old man that's entering the workforce also needs that permission to show up as an individual, to bring his personal self in to work, to explore what it means for him to be a professional, an individual, a, a dad. Um, and that while we are spending so much time focusing on women, because that is what is needed right now. It is also a message that is important for, for men to hear. And it's a human message. It's not just a women's message. It is a human message that if each of us really can start to recognize the power that comes with our own individuality, I mean, how beautiful would that would, could be that in, instead of someone saying, well, as a man, I can't cry in this room, but if right. I do cry, here's how it's going to be interpreted to walk in and say, I actually don't care about the impression it's going to leave. This is what's authentic to me in this moment. So here's how I'm going to respond. And we're, we're at a point right now where people are craving that they're right. craving the ability to show up as themselves. Right. And we should offer each other permission to do that. Yes, a hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that came up because it. I I just think it's interesting if you're a young male in in corporate America today in terms of your career journey. Um, so I was just curious on your thoughts mm -hmm. on that, but yeah, a hundred percent agree. What kind of the clients uh, most appeal to you that you can help the most? When people ask about my ideal client. The only answer that I have to give is really a client base that is willing and open to grow and listen and consider new ideas and being open to shifting maybe long held mindset beliefs. It doesn't fall into a certain industry. Um, while I do speak predominantly to women's groups, just like we talked about a minute ago, there's there is an appetite for this as just a human conversation, not necessarily a women's focused conversation. I have a very clear picture and, and visualization of exactly what my ideal client engagement looks like. And for me, the bigger the audience, the better. I, I feed off of an audience. I get the energy that comes from an audience and that drives me and, and excites me. So the bigger the team of people I'm speaking to, the better. I'm one of those one of those weirdos that that loves the the stage. But I think that it's a mindset. You know, the ideal client is someone who's willing to to listen and to think and to consider new perspectives. So I have to ask this question. Uh, I watched your speaker reel, um, mm -hmm. and there was a tattoo parlor incident in your life. So I, I, I need to know more about that. And uh, so does my audience. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, okay. That's fair. <laughs> I throw it out there. So somebody's going to ask. Okay. So I, I talked earlier about not getting into nursing school. 
And I, in that moment that I did not get in, I decided I needed to do something that, that I don't know, had a level of permanence or anchored me in that moment. And, you know, at 20 years old, getting a tattoo seemed like the thing that I should go do. So I did, I have, I have a tattoo. It's a blue star. Don't ask me why I picked blue or a star. I just liked it. And, uh, there you go. There's, there you go. There's, the, there's the story. It's there it is. It's public. It's out there. Until <laughs> <laughs> the, till Apple and Spotify podcasts and Amazon podcast yeah. goes away. Uh, Hello world. That is the tattoo <laughs> that I have. Yes. I, I won't ask you where it is. So, uh, uh, but the, the other, so uh, I love to help two groups of people on the podcast. One is uh, we talk about uh, recent college graduates. What advice would you give them in terms of, you know, obtaining a great job? The two things I'll say is be open to opportunities. We, we do ourselves a disservice, assuming that the right job looks like the you know, what our friends are doing or what our parents did or what the successful guy that lives down the street is doing. And I think being open to opportunities to learn and grow, particularly when you're looking for that first job or that new job, being open to opportunities that may not be where you see yourself long-term, but is an opportunity to grow. Don't shy away from those. So that's, that's the first thing that I'll say. Networking to me is huge. I, I tell everybody, we, we have a lot of college age mentors that we work with through Madam President Camp. And I tell all of them, get out there on LinkedIn, get your profile out there, start engaging with people because those opportunities to learn and for doors to open, you don't know where those exist until you put yourself out there in, in that networking space. And then, you know, similar to my own journey is, did I say two things? Cause I'm, I'm throwing out three now. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> All good. <laughs> the the opportunity to not question yourself, to say, I can't say if I will or will not succeed in this space until I'm willing to give it a shot. Lean into that and try those things that maybe feel a little scary and you don't know if you will be successful on day one because the reality is you won't. Right. Even the most seasoned person will step into a new job and they're going to have to figure it out because maybe the company they're with before did things differently or there's new people dynamics. No one will succeed right out of the gate. All of us will end up having some level of struggling as we're trying something new. So I think for someone who's entering the workforce at a young age, remember that your, your age isn't necessarily a deterrent if you're willing to go into it and own it and use it as an opportunity to learn and grow. Yeah, that's great advice. The The other group I'd like to help, and you've had a different experience than I think any of my other 50 uh, plus guests have had, but usually, you know, you start out as an individual contributor, mm -hmm. and then you get the promotion to lead a group of people, and then you're responsible, to, you know, for other people for the first time in your professional career, obviously you were thrown into the you know, lion's mm -hmm. den per se. So what advice do you have for those people that just become leaders and uh, they're just starting their leadership journey? Well, I, I, I think the first thing I'll say is you are who you are regardless of your title. 
whether you're an individual contributor or you are a leader, that should not change how you show up each day. Honesty creates a level of trust. Authenticity creates that level of trust. Openness creates that level of, of trust. And so whether you're an ind individual contributor who has a peer group that relies on you, I mean, you're still a leader to them, uh -huh. whether it's through direct influence or through indirect influence. That same thing happens. Yes, it's a different, a different level of responsibility when someone reports to you directly, but still showing up authentically and remembering that trust is such a huge foundation for everyone, that rule doesn't change no matter the title or the sphere of leadership or influence. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I and mean, you might be the first person to actually uh, frame that, uh, the answer to that question that way. So thank you for that. Um, well, Mary, you've been great. I love your energy. It's just a, a pleasure uh, to talk to you. So thank you so much for coming on the uh, corporate couch today. Absolutely. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks. You too. It was so great to talk to Mary. I love her advocacy for females of all ages. Uh, here she is, a successful professional speaker, leader, consultant, and she talked a little bit about her, you know, overcoming her own self-doubt. And I can't even imagine, you know, uh, Joe, you might talk about how she pivoted in college, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, right out of school, she had 23 people <laughs> <laughs> that she was leading a team of. And I mean, that's wow. phenomenal. Wow. Um, that, that's definitely very unique among uh, our, our guests to date. And anytime you can talk about tattoos and uh, college <laughs> bars at the University of Kansas, it's always a fun interview. <laughs> so what did you take away? She was definitely unique in several different uh, aspects of all the guests that we've had so far. One of them that's, that's unique is that as a sophomore, she was going to go back and, and start in nursing school, and she didn't get into nursing school. And I think that's the earliest abort that we've ever had. In, because of the um, bars at the University of Kansas. Because of the bars, <laughs> bars at the University of Kansas. That wasn't my college experience, by the way. In the college that I went to, if you could write a check, if that check didn't bounce, you were in. That wasn't a problem at all. But that was interesting that then she very successfully pivoted, um, ended up spending five years to get a four-year degree, which is not unusual. That that happens a lot. And then was wildly successful after that as a, as a manager and as a public speaker uh, and everything. An interesting thing that I thought that, that she came up with was she was talking about nursing as being both right brain and left brain. And uh, I, I never really thought of it like that before, but I've always learned that a doctor, a doctor's responsibility is to treat the ailment. A nurse's responsibility is to treat the patient. And so a doctor can afford to not have a great patient relationship. You know, you, you wish that he would, but as long as he's doctoring and treating the what ails you, that works. But a nurse can't afford to do that. A nurse has to be both left brain and right brain. She has to both know all the psychology and the understanding and the empathy of being with a patient. 
as well as all of the science and everything goes with drugs and what a CC is and how to give an injection and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. It's, it was an interesting yeah. concept. Yeah. And I think she gave some stat about like 90% of her female, uh, of her relatives are female, like her cousins. Yeah. It, it's used. And, you know, I have to mention like her grandmother graduated college in 1944. Like what percent mm -hmm. of the college graduates in 1944 were female? I got to think it's like under 10%. I mean, I, I should have done the research on that, but you can see why she's such a powerful advocate for, uh, you know, women and, uh, and young females. So. She gets it naturally. That's, it, it was yeah. an amazing, amazing conversation. Yeah. What, uh, what leadership advice would you give the audience uh, today, Joe? Today, we're going to go to that great philosopher named Meemaw. One time when she was talking to a young philosopher named Sheldon Cooper, Meemaw said, when a Texan gets knocked off a horse, he gets right back on. That is the second most important thing about being a Texan, right after thinking you're better than anyone else. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.